jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. This is Inside Barry Reynolds, part three, featuring legendary songwriter and guitar player Barry Reynolds. Known for his iconic work with Marianne Faithful and Grace Jones, Barry is also one of the original Compass Point All-Stars, the group of international musicians that created some of rock and roll and reggae's most groundbreaking albums and sessions at Chris Blackwell's studio in the Bahamas in the 70s and 80s. Throughout this series of in-depth interviews with New York-based DJ, musicologist, and journalist Greg Kaz, Barry reveals his fascinating story from Lancashire to London and Nassau to New York City. A great raconteur and gentleman, Barry tells inside stories of his early years as a teenage guitar prodigy around the early Beatles scene in Hamburg, becoming a top recording and touring musician for everyone from Clapton to Black Uhuru and Joe Cocker, and his most recent collaborations with Baba Mal and New York performance artist and musician Tammy Faye Starlight. And now, part three of Inside Barry Reynolds. So let's wrap up your Compass Point era, more or less here, in the mid-80s. You continued recording with Compass Point with the All-Stars on albums by Black Uhuru, Sly and Robbie, among others. You know, I guess you were still there when Grace did Living My Life. Yeah. Another classic, highly influential record, My Jamaican Guy in that. Yeah. And then you also worked on a John Martin album called Sapphire. And I'm kind of curious to um, hear your perspective and memories on working on that because uh, John Martin's a very interesting guy, superb songwriter, yeah. very kind of idiosyncratic vocalist who came out of the 60s London folk scene, friend and label mate of Nick Drake on Island Records in the 70s. Yeah. When I when I met John and bless him, he wasn't in, in, in good shape and he arrived at the studio and uh, uh, he didn't really have the material. And uh, and for some reason, we, we, we didn't get along. I think he reminded me of, uh, on reflection, he reminded me of my elder brother who was a bully who used to beat the shit out of me every day. Huh. And so uh, <laughs> that, that, that created a little, a, a little tension between us, you know, but uh, he, he was a magical musician, you know, and, uh, and crazy as fuck. Yes. Very I mean, it was it, 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 verging on, on schizophrenia, it worried me. When yeah. I would go in the studio, I didn't know which John would come in. Right. You know, the good one, yeah. Uh, the uh, the crazy yeah. one, you know. The, the and he was doing, thing there. Yeah, he was doing a lot of blow and right. and stuff. And uh, I don't know. At one point, I pulled away, and then Robert Palmer took over and uh, and kind of finished the album. But that didn't work. 
And so he went back to Glasgow to his, you know, friends in Glasgow and they put the album out, but it's not an album I'm proud of at all. Are you on One World? Uh, no, that, no, that's a great album. That's a great album. I watched the day go down And then after that, for the rest of the 80s, were you just more laying low or were you just kind no, of... No, I was, I, I was working. I was working hard. I was uh, mainly touring with Marianne. Okay. And, uh, and, and we finished up, with, with, which for me was like the perfect way of touring. You know, I kind of got rid of... Well, not, not not just me, but Marianne was oh, obviously was involved, but got rid of the band, and I thought, you know, it would be good to tour with her with just like an acoustic, and Marianne, and so it's like a poetry reading. She was very articulate, and so she's on very stage, theatrical with quite a story to tell. Yeah, yeah, that that for me because that I, it was so minimal that I'd be playing the acoustic guitar. And uh, sometimes I just drop out and just be, you know, um, playing on the muted strings and, and like having a little, you know, just rhythm behind her. And so when I did come in and play some chord, it would right. sound like a, an orchestra. And so it was like playing with, with dynamics, you know, yeah. and, and it really worked. So searching diamond, looking for a place to stay. A place with no commitment, a place with no involvement. I got one eye on insanity, the other on the way. One's turning, one's burning, blazing away. One's turning, one's burning, blazing away. And so, but then I had a falling out with her manager and, uh, common showbiz stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but you later started working with her again in the late nineties. Yeah. And, uh, um, and she was, she was actually dating her manager at the beginning and then they split up, but, but he kept managing her and we never really made up because he was, uh, he was a drunk in a bad way. He was, he was right. this uh, Parisian and uh, he had the arrogance of, of Mussolini. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we, we just didn't click. And I knew what was going on between them. I knew that he was seeing someone and, you know, I'd, I was, I'd known Marianne for a long time. And so I didn't appreciate that either. 
Right. And so, uh, you know, but I spoke to Marianne a couple of weeks ago and uh, she's doing okay. And uh, she's, I don't think she'll chore again. And, um, but they, they're making uh, a film of, of her. Okay. Wow. And uh, I, I, those films, I don't know. I, Music I mean, biopics, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was never a great Queen fan, but, you know, if I want to see Queen, why won't, wouldn't I see Queen? And, yeah, and, yeah. and that, that goes as far as I've heard. It's a great film. You know, the Ray Charles film, you know? Why yeah. would I want to see someone doing Ray Charles? As, as someone who had read Ray Charles's actual self-written autobiography, Brother Ray, years before that movie was ever even thought of. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm kind of like a stickler for facts. I mean, a lot of these filmmakers want to do things in these artists' stories to get fannies in seats, shall we say. That's right. And, and entertainment has to come into it. I, I saw the most amazing interview with Ray Charles, and it was on uh, a show called 60 Minutes. Right, right. And um, he said to Ray Charles, and Ray Charles was completely honest. I think Ray Charles knew that he was sick and he was going out and there was, he was apologizing a lot. You know, he was going, listen, if I, if I treated anyone really badly, because he was a fucker, Ray Charles, you know, yeah. I mean, he was a, 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 no one is like Ray Charles, you know, I mean, to me, he's a god, you know, but uh, at one point, the guy said, uh, he says, so I believe you had a drug problem. He said, yeah, he said, uh, he said, but he said, and it, it became a psychological thing. He said, he said, but I, but I got through it. He said, and also he said, you have to remember, I think the best things I ever did was when I was on drugs and they were trying to cut that out of the <laughs> out of 60 minutes. Well, and I thought, leave it in. You know, it's the truth. He's talking the truth. That's the case for, I think, just about any artist, you know, who went through that. I mean, it's not it might not be, you know, nice or whatever you want to call it. Right. But it's, it's real. Like, hey man, your new album is so good. It sounds like you're back on coke or something. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You'd, you'd never hear a question like that, <laughs> exactly. you know. But but when when he said, yeah, and I think the best work I ever did was when I was on Smack. Uh, this yeah, guy was in, like, in his book. He did say, well, you know, I never depended on it. I looked at it as like rewarding myself with a little treat. If everything went well, if the shows went well, if the band played okay, if I made the gigs on time and I made payroll and the record sold okay, I said, okay, at the end of the month, I'm giving myself a little treat. And he would get himself some smack, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's that was just kind of, and the only reason he quit, he said, was because, well, if he got arrested and put away, then his family, his band, his employees, everybody would be like, you know, out of a job up Schitt's Creek. So yeah, more as a sense of responsibility to them. So it, there's, there's different angles to kind of. Right. Exactly. I, what I found kind of interesting was that he met James Taylor in rehab. Yeah. That's <laughs> no. So, so you can imagine James Taylor going in like a little shaky, you know, like going through Jones, you know, jonesing and he walks into a, you know, a dinner and who sat over there? Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Like, 
This is a surreal moment. I mean, it doesn't get more surreal. <laughs> so um, I want to get back to the sort of late 80s, early 90s period where you're still touring with Marianne. And then around this time, you collaborated with Bette Midler on the Roberta Flack track, Something Your Heart Has Been Telling Me, that was on the Set the Night to Music album from 91. How did that come about? I, I think, you know, I, after I did uh, Grace's first album, I got a call from Bette Midler. And I thought, you know, I, I actually love Bette, but I hate her music. I can't stand it, you know. And, uh, and she invited me down to L.A. to do some writing. And we did some writing, and one of the songs was going to go into uh, a film that she did uh, called Beaches. And uh, because she wrote the lyrics, she, she said, I can't use those lyrics. I, I, I hate them, you know, and, and, and everything. And uh, Roberta Flack finished up recording uh, the song. And so I was wow. pleased with that. one of the big worldwide stars. I know she was a nightmare when she was younger, but now she's uh, her feet are firmly on the ground. She's one of the smartest women I've ever met in my life. And uh, I, 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 I think she's a wonderful person. Oh, that's great. So it seems like you're someone who has worked with a lot of amazing, strong women throughout your career. Is that something you were looking to do was that intentional or did it just sort of happen by fate or happenstance well i i i, I do love women i really do in many ways <laughs> and uh you know i don't know I, I i just i just love women and also i i maybe there's something that um the women don't feel i i i would never look down on any artist, you know, and uh, with with women, I, I, I treat them just 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 the way I, I, I treat anyone in a in a studio because I have, I have great respect for for people. A, a parallel can be drawn with uh, Serge Gainsbourg, who also had a great history of collaborating with women. Yeah, actually, I met surge in uh, new york i was doing an album with uh, with marianne i forget which album it was and uh, serge was doing a funk album 
And so he was going through all the different, you know, uh, styles, whatever. And he was doing this funk album. And he had some great musicians on it. But uh, I remember going in there at about 12 o'clock and Marianne knew him from, you know, uh, her days with... Uh, in, in in Paris and working on Girl on a Motorcycle with Alain, Alain Delon. Mm-hmm. And, and so she knew him and in, introduced me. And I, I, I always remember it was about 11, 12 or whatever. And he, he was just walking around with, you know, half a bottle of Perno in his hand and a gitan. That kind of impressed me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it did, but it did. I just thought, oh, what's he going to be like around three? <laughs> and uh, funnily enough, I actually worked with his daughter, uh, Charlotte. And uh, I went over there and I, I, I didn't know what was required of me. I, um, I, I was in Paris at, at, at the time working with, uh, doing some lyrics with uh, a band called Rita Masuko. And then I got invited over to Charlotte's place and uh, I got there and uh, she, she was incredibly shy. I mean, she, she was very, she was lovely, a lovely lady. And, uh, but she was incredibly shy and she was like, uh, I, I feel, you know, that uh, I, you know, I always make comparisons with me and my father, Serge, when I'm, when I'm writing and, um, you know, basically, we were talking about how we went about writing, mm-hmm. and 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 so I could see she was she, she was she was fairly uncomfortable with the situation. I found out later that I was expected to go around there with some ideas. I thought it was like a writing uh, thing that we we, we were doing, and uh, we were going to write together. And I was just going to find out what what she was listening to and what inspired her. And I wasn't, I, I just went over there, you know, uh, kind of naked, just like, okay, well, let's let's start. This is the way I, I normally write mm-hmm. and everything. And so we did a lot of talking, you know, but uh, as soon as, um, you know, I, I, I got the guitar out and, um, you know, she kind of clammed up. Uh, I think what she was expecting uh, really was what uh, Beck finished up producing the album and what he had was uh, tapes which were finished you know but with no vocals or uh, over, over the top and so that was ideal for her to go over and and just work on melody and um, and lyrics after and so uh, I, th- I think she was expecting me to go over there with with tracks for her oh wow you know her, her music i think is you know is very french very you know whispery very sexy close to the mic and you know and um i'm i'm a i'm a great fan of her acting she's certainly a great talent and uh you know as as was serge so yeah it's quite the list of remarkable women marianne faithful grace jones bet midler roberta flack Charlotte Gainsbourg, Valerie Lagrange, Sabina Shuba from the Brazilian Girls. The list goes on and on. So more recently, you've been performing with the New York-based performer Tammy Faye Starlight. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh well, uh, uh, Tammy Faye. What happened there was, I, I got a call from a friend of mine who said uh, that they were doing um, an anniversary of uh, Broken English, and would I play on it? 
And I thought, what? That's what you know, I mean, I it, it, to me, it sounded like, a, you know, be, being in a cover band covering uh, an album that you've done, you know. And so I said, no, I, I, I don't want to do it. And he said, well, just come down to the rehearsal. And so I went down to the rehearsal and I met Tammy and she blew me away. She's a great comedian. She has a great mind. She's a great impressionist. And uh, the uh, broken English part was, you know, we did, you know, we, we made it sound like the album, but it was the in-between of Tammy talking to the audience. And she was very topical and political about what was going on. And I completely... I, I fully agreed with everything she said, and uh, and she's a wonderful entertainer. The morning sun touched lightly on the eyes of Lucy Jordan in a white suburban bedroom. In a white suburban town As she lay there Neath the covers Dreaming of A thousand lovers Till the world Turned to orange And the room went Spinning round At the age Of thirty-seven She'd found forever as she rode along through Paris with the warm wind in her hair. And we were supposed to start a, uh, a thing at, at Joe's pub. Uh, it was going to be like a little residency there. And so if it happens, I, I, I thoroughly recommend you come down, you know, whether you like broken English or not, you know, it's, it's a great show. Uh, just because of her. We actually played Joe's Pub two nights with Baba Mal. I, I did an album with uh, Baba Mal, and, and part of it was... Uh, I, do you know what a griot is? Yes, of course. Right. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I say that because a lot of people don't. You know, a lot but, of people don't, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the African history that, uh, that, that people read about is written by... The English or the French, you know, not by the Africans, and so the griot oh, tradition handed down through generations of griot. yeah, absolutely, and so that was a true African history, and so I suggested to Baba, uh, we should do a show, and you should be uh, uh, interviewed, and we got Chris Charlesworth, and he he interviewed Baba, and then uh, I played like about five songs after. Wow. Yeah. Wish I'd known oh. about that. I would have definitely come. There. I've been listening to Baba Mal since the 80s. <laughs> yeah, great, a great musician, a really, really great man. And Blackwell came down and he loved it because it was, uh, it, it was interesting, you know. Have you spoken to Chris Blackwell recently? I spoke to Chris about two weeks ago. He, he wants me to move down to uh, Jamaica. I spent some time in uh, Jamaica uh, teaching. Uh, our, part of the uh, uh, Blackwell Music Foundation down there, and what I was doing, I was teaching kids down there, and but it was, 
it was a bit weird. The kids were fucking great. You know, I mean, they they, they really were. And uh, I, I had this thing where what I would do is, uh, you know, there was 40 kids to a class, you know, which is impossible to like, you know, deal with, you know, these kids with all this energy and stuff. And so what I would do is I'd sit down with a class and go, okay, what are we doing at the beginning? Because what I was doing, I, I was teaching them where reggae music came from. I know it sounds weird coming from a white guy, but I, I, I did a lot of research on this, you know, you know, from West Africa and, you know, the, 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 the whole uh, Calypso thing, the, uh, the song, the song filtered, story. Filtered through, filtered through Fats Domino and the sub. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. And they were really interesting. But I would start the class and do a meditation with a class. And I was just so surprised how it worked. You know, I just say, oh, okay, the first three minutes, I want complete silence, you know, complete silence, because they'd come in and it sounded like a war, yeah. you know, where they'd be fighting and whatever. And we do this meditation and after after that, you know, I'd have to wake some of the kids up after the meditation. <laughs> and then I would just, you know, I'd be there with the guitar and everyone wanted to play the guitar. It was like, give me, let me borrow your guitar, man. Come on, give me a guitar. I'm like, whatever. And so, um, but but Chris is, uh, he he's doing well. Well, um, definitely, you know, Give Chris my best. He's a guy that I really respect. Chris Blackwell is actually the type of record man that I'm afraid is kind of like extinct today in a way. He sort oh, of yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of guy who like had that certain vision, and he wasn't so much of a bureaucrat as the people who've come up after him. Yeah, so he saw and and he knew what was unusual about him. He was this white. Jamaican, you know, came from a very wealthy family, yeah. but he knew a groove. And uh, sometimes what he would do is like we would we would start a song, and if the song was like perhaps a little complicated, and we'd be like following the chords and you know kind of falling into the groove, you know, like like searching for the groove, but also concentrating on where the song's going. As at the end of the song. When the song's over, people relax because it's like, okay, we, we, we got through it without making a mistake. And so that's when the groove would start, right? you know, because you've, you've finished it and it's like, yeah, I'm relaxed now. And then you'd hear through, okay, we're starting now. One, two, three, four, go. So. And so we would start on the groove. And then that that would be where the real take would come in. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So what what keeps you busy nowadays? What I'm doing, I'm actually writing a book about uh, and it's not a music book, uh, about my time when I when I ran away to Hamburg. And uh, how I, you mentioned um, that earlier. Yeah, how how I kind of uh, uh, survived out there, and also I, you know, I've, I've been doing research on what was going on in Hamburg, 
uh, the time. And I, I think I have a publisher who's interested, you know, and, uh, and Blackwell's behind it. And um, I don't know if you know Bill Flanagan, but I was talking to, uh, to Bill about it. And I, I told him, you know, some of uh, the angle that I was coming from, because I, I didn't want to write like a, uh, a book like Anna, Anna Capaldi, who is uh, Capaldi's widow. Yeah. And uh, she's just come out with a book, which is which is quite good. To me, it seems more more of a diary. It's the truth. But every page is like there's another name drop here. Then we were on the road and we met up with Prince and he got up and, you know, and he just go. And I, I, I read through the whole book in like two hours. And uh, I think reason being is because I knew a lot of the characters mm -hmm. and uh, but it's not the kind of book that normally I would read. You know, I read those kinds of books all the time. So <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, it's a narrative between most of those kinds of books that I would devour in a day or two, but I find them greatly entertaining and informative. But yeah. I understand the impulse to want to do something different and focus on a specific aspect. You know, the Hamburg thing is. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was an interesting time, and you know, uh, I you know, obviously it was after the war and everything, but there was still remnants of uh, of the feelings after the war in Hamburg. Also, we were a threat, you know. We had long hair, and yeah. uh, for some reason, people took that as a threat. You know, I remember I'd play in Hamburg in this place called Kiel. Uh, which was uh, just outside of Hamburg. And there were times, you know, I'd go out to restaurants and stuff and, uh, you know, these, you know, some drunk Germans would come up and go, me, SS, you know, and it'd be like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, and I just, how do I get out of yeah, this? Yeah, but I mean, where, where, you know, sort of like a personal experience crossed with popular culture, crossed with, the immediately recent remnants of a world war. Right, exactly. It's kind of like, I don't know if you know the uh, writer Hilary Mantel, and I'm certainly not um, uh, making comparisons because, I mean, she's a real writer. But her writing, which I love, is based on fact with fiction. You know, and uh, I think that's what I'm, I'm, I'm going after. Um, it, it'll be based on fighting, so it's kind of memoir, and uh, but it's it's not just about you know, uh, music and who I've you know, who I've played with and uh, whatever, and uh, you know, but uh, it will finish up around uh, the time I did uh, Broken English. Wow, that's fantastic! Well, I'm definitely looking forward to reading that. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy when uh, <laughs> hopefully it's released and now uh, uh, when I finish it, you know. Wow, man, this has been uh, an extremely enlightening and illuminating and fascinating conversation. And I'm sure there's a lot more stuff that we could still touch on, but we've covered quite a bit of ground, I would say. Well, it, it's been a joy talking to you. You know, I, I like talking to people who I, um, I think know what they're talking about. You know, I like to think I know a few things here and there. Yeah. 
you know your music and there's a lot of people that 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 don't people like to say they do but i i've actually like i've i've done the 10,000 Malcolm Gladwell hours to actually know all this stuff. So. Malcolm Gladwell hours. It was funny. I was speaking about him today. That's weird. Yeah. Pleasure speaking to you, man. Pleasure speaking to you, too. And ben. hopefully at one point we'll meet up for a coffee. Or yeah, whatever. I'm right here. I'm here in Brooklyn. You know, I'm around. So uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure we've been in the same spaces and cross, cross paths. Many I'm times. sure we have. Do you, do you owe me money? <laughs> no. you have to think about that like <laughs> do i <laughs> okay yeah pleasure man this is delphine blue for jasoncharles.net podcast network you've been listening to part three of inside barry reynolds a series of in-depth interviews with the legendary songwriter guitar player and dj musicologist and journalist greg kaz for more information about Barry Reynolds and this series, check out the Audio Dramas channel on jasoncharles.net podcast network and listen and subscribe to the entire series wherever you get your podcasts or live and direct on jasoncharles.net. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep. Very, very deep.